and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about Stonemaier Games, best known for Scythe and Wingspan. They're known for quality over quantity and for not using Kickstarter. But what's the story behind this? Mostly a one-man game company? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC. And welcome to our newest patron, Matthew Droke. I'm going to go with Droke. And a huge thank you to all our other patrons as well. Speaking of huge thank you, we do we are giving away Tapestry in this episode. Yes, and we I got are. a chance I got a chance to play it because I'm like I should probably play it before I give it away. So I was at GameholeCon this weekend and I was playing with Lightning Steve and Michael Yanikowski. Um, they taught me Tapestry. I almost won, except for one little minor rules thing that I didn't get quite correctly. But um, <laughs> Details, details. But it was a fun game. I like it. Um, it is not... It looks like a Euro game. And in that way, it looks like it should be balanced and, you know, lots of skill and stuff. But it is... There's a lot more luck in it than your traditional Euro game. But I think that that... There's enough places where luck happens that it sort of can average out. But I can see how someone... I've seen a few reviews where it's like, oh, I got this and this and you just can't win. Or this race and or this um, civilization with that one is really bad or something. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. Those things can happen. It's still a fun game. So I like it. And someone else is going to like it. And I know who it is, but I'm not going to tell anyone until we get to the end. Ooh, I could scroll down. I could you know. Could, you wouldn't <laughs> want to do that. I won't. But that is not... Well, let's see. Um, also, I should say, Tim Vernig, sorry, I didn't get a chance to meet up with you. I, I My game whole con was super well rent. I got there on Friday. I played two games. Saturday, I played a game. Then I went and played a six-hour role-playing game called Gatsby and the Great Race. And then I drove back home. So it was a whirlwind thing. And I, I, I it was a lot of fun. And I should have known it was going to be that much fun. And I should have planned another day. But I did not. So I apologize. <sighs> and anyone else that I might have missed. I know there's a few people that um, said hi to Sydney because they saw her and they didn't see me. And yeah. And Kitty wasn't there, but I sent her pictures saying, ha ha, look what you're missing. I know. I was super jealous. It's cool. It's fine. Everyone's just, everyone was sad. You so and Sydney Gatsby are... and the Great Race, is that the uh, Call of Cthulhu game that Spencer played in the year before? It was. And his speaking of it so highly is what made me sign up for it and play it this year. Did it live to the hype? It did. Anybody who goes to conventions, play Gatsby and the Great Race if you can. It is a five-table game, six people per table. So there's 30 ent- thirty people that can play it. It's a six-hour-long game, but it is one of the most unique role-playing experiences you can have. And if you don't like Call of Cthulhu, it doesn't matter. Um, it's not it's not super horror-based horror, horror based or anything like that. It's more of um, it's mystery investigation with weird things going on. I mean, that's what Cthulhu is. But it's the way they do it is really, really Is that really what Cthulhu impressive. is? Um, yeah, I mean... Sort of like that whole Cthulhu. The Cthulhu games are monster. <laughs> eh, they're not monsters that you don't know are there until it's too late, right? Yeah, you have to like see the clues coming. And they like bring you to the brink of insanity, but then it's too late. You're already on their side by the time you know they exist. Pretty much, but yeah, it's. I mean, that's the thing with Cthulhu. If it's done, I, I don't want to say if it's done right, but in most systems. You, when you're playing the game, regardless, like any of the Arkham Horror stories or whatever, you start out with something weird is going on, but it's not 
blatantly apparent and then eventually you figure it out and as you're figuring it out that's what's causing you to go more and more insane because like this can't be happening this isn't real but it is happening and that's where the whole sanity stat gets in there but this is it's mild i I wouldn't even call it a horror at all um it's more psychedelic mystery but it's that's not the the game is just awesome and you should play it and i can't talk too much about it because i don't want to spoil anything for anybody yeah this is exactly what spencer did yeah. I have to play you this just, at some point. <laughs> you just have to do it. Yep. All right, Fletcher. How was your horror weekend? <laughs> uh, I was out of town for a wedding, my cousin's wedding. Uh, she got married in Austin, uh, which is where she met her now husband um, and where I grew up. So it was pretty fun. And best thing ever, um, the place that we were staying was kind of expensive at, at a hotel. But when we got there, it turns out that the hot water uh, was not working. Oh, and no. they were super apologetic about it. And they're like, we're really, really sorry. We'll comp you every night that the hot water doesn't work. So I was like, well. <laughs> Fingers crossed they don't fix it, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was only fixed on the last day. So I basically only had to pay for like one one night. Nice. And that was super awesome for my pocketbook. <laughs> I know when I got to um, Madison, I had not yet reserved a hotel room and I did it sort of at the last minute and I got the cheapest hotel that was within like a 10 mile radius, which ended up being like $109 a night. But I got there and they're like, oh yeah, we're overbooked. Um, You have two queens. Can we give you a king? And I'm like, sure. I don't care. I'm by myself. And then her face is just weird as she's scrolling through and it's like, uh, do you have any rooms at all? She's like, oh, I found one. So it ended up being like a suite at the top floor. <laughs> so, and this place was huge. So Sydney came up on Saturday morning. I'm like, you just need to come to the hotel because we're just going to let Zachary like roam around this place. Cause it was just, he could run all over the place in his crawling fashion. But, um, it just, he had a blast just having rain over the place. But yeah, it was it was a nice hotel room for a hundred bucks. Can't complain. <laughs> wow, hotel karma like, for um, the win. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where he ends up in like the crazy suite. It was almost like yeah. that. If I had been That's there for more than movie. one night, I don't think I would have gotten it. <laughs> but yeah, it could have slept easily eight people, like easily. Fun. I love your hat. Oh, really? Thanks. My, I'm screwing with you. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie. I know. No, I need to go watch that again. Okay, let's go talk about games for a little bit. Um, we're talking about Stonemeyer games. When I say Stonemeyer games, Fletcher, what is the first thing that you think of? Wingspan. Really? Interesting. Well, now it is. I mean, before I guess it was Scythe, but now it's Wingspan. Kitty? I would say the exact same thing. Huh. For first me? Wingspan used to be Scythe. So, and and maybe this is um, just because I sort of follow things more than just games, but I actually think of Jamie Stegmeier. Like, whenever I hear Stonemeyer, I immediately think of him. I mean, yeah. Not that the games aren't great. They are. Yeah. He's very <laughs> important to the company. He basically is the company. He basically is the company. Um, as we will find out. Yeah, he is basic. And I did not, I did a lot of research for this. And I will say one piece of research I did that anybody can do is a few months ago, just after he announced Tapestry, like literally the day after, uh, he posted a YouTube video called A Brief History of Stonemaier Games. And 
I was doing some research and I came across this and I'm like, well, great. He's done my homework for me. <laughs> so <laughs> if you want to hear the history of Stillmeyer Games from his voice, you can watch that as well because it's pretty interesting. It's about an hour long, but so is this podcast. So um, we will we'll extend it out a little bit by talking about <laughs> hotel rooms, but I don't think he talked about many hotel rooms. But yeah, he is he does most of the work for the company. Uh, he's the only full-time employee. He owns 90% of the company. Um, the reason why the company is uh, Stonemeyer Games instead of Stegmeyer is that Adam Stone is his business partner. And he invested a small portion early on. So they took Stone and Stegmeyer and put them together. And that's Stonemeyer Games. But Later on, Adam sold some of his shares to other people who wanted to invest. So there are multiple small investors in the company, but Jamie still owns 90%. He does almost all of everything, which primarily makes him a game designer, a project manager, a community interaction person, customer service. Like he does all of these things. Uh, the shipping and stuff he outsources, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah, I think that was just, it's pretty interesting how much that one person does. Now, you guys have both heard Stonemeyer Games. Without looking ahead, Fletcher, how many games yeah. would you say Stonemeyer has published in its, I want to say, six years of existence? Well, I know of three. <laughs> and there's more than that so six or seven kitty do you have a guess i want to say somewhere 20 to 25 it if i had to guess i would have probably gone more high uh fletcher's actually closest they have published eight games really yep now that's not counting like expansions three a year. i guess it's slower start though Yep. Not counting expansions, but in general, he's he has eight games. So um I was gonna so say, like if you're gonna publish twenty games in six years, that's crazy velocity for one person. There's Yeah. Well, if so next episode we're actually gonna do spoiler alert, we're gonna do a feedback episode on all the questions that we've been getting from these episodes, because there's just too many. So I'm like, I'm just gonna put them all in one and we're gonna do like kind of a wrap up thing. But we'll talk about Stone not Stonemeyer, um Stronghold games a little bit as well. Because Stronghold is actually more in that 20 games in four or five years range actually maybe even more than that do they have more than one person working there not for the not until about two years ago oh so okay. the, the majority of the time but he was never a designer he was strictly just a publisher so which basically means making contacts you know getting games printed like doing a lot of project management-esque work um but on that side you can do that but jamie for the beginning of uh Stonemeyer Games. He was the only designer. He like, um, and we'll do some more trivia. First game published by Stonemeyer Games that was not one of his designs. Hey. I will give you a hint. Is it, it Wingspan? <laughs> it is not. That's the most recent one. Um, it has been. There are now two titles with the original title in it that he published. And people in their cars are wondering. I know this. I know this. Between Two Cities oh. was the first one. And then Between Two Cities, of uh, the Castles of Mad King Ludwig was the next one. Um, that Actually, I don't think that was the next one. There was another one. Uh, My Little Scythe was in there as well. So let's go over his games. Like, we can go over his full catalog and his history. Um, Kitty, because you did Kickstarters last time, you're going to do Kickstarters this time. 
So his first Kickstarter was Viticulture. Raising sixty five thousand dollars, it looks like. Yep. Um so it didn't meet small. all of its stretch goals. Yeah. It did not meet all of its stretch goals. It had a print run of twenty five hundred games, and he had a stretch goal on there for metal coins. And he states that if had they reached that stretch goal, he would have had to have basically mortgaged something, taken out a loan to be able to meet the the cost of that. And him missing that stretch goal is probably what kept the company in business. Early on, yep. Early on, it was really easy to underestimate a whole lot of things, and he got lucky by not hitting that stretch goal. Yeah, metal coins. It doesn't just like cost to produce them. Doesn't it add a lot of shipping weight? I hear shipping that shipping can huge. really destroy Kickstarters. Yep. That's so the biggest underestimated cost. Yep. Um, so his next game, though, after he it's shipped Fiticulture. Euphoria. And this got all the way up to $309,000. Yep. And for a second game, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. But he had to, in order for him to make this game, before he went to Kickstarter, he actually took a loan against his 401k so that he could pay the artists and, you know, get samples and essentially have the game done before they went to Kickstarter. Which is what I don't like about Kickstarter. <laughs> Why? What, you shouldn't what have to take out a loan to raise money. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you specifically. Um, the weird thing about this. So one of the things that Jamie is unique of is he loves Kickstarter, loves it. Um, he no longer uses it for lots of reasons, but he still writes all about it. Oh, and yeah. one of the, the things that he wanted to make sure is, especially the early days of board gaming, is making sure that people trusted the company. And for him, the way to do that was to show that you had a finished game and you weren't raising money to make a game. You were raising money to get the game printed. So yes. he took that risk of taking that loan against his 401k to finish the development of the game so that he was just raising money for the printing of the game. Um, he then took, he went to his boss at the time because he was still working full time and asked for Wednesdays off, like just for every Wednesday off, taking a 20% pay cut. Um, apparently his boss said, sure, because he was still doing the same amount of work as a full-time employee. He was just working for less money, but he was using those Wednesdays to deal with fulfillment for this game, uh, Euphoria, because you someone had to do it um he also did kickstarter exclusives in this and he said he felt very bad when people would ask to buy the exclusives and he had stock but he wasn't allowed to sell them because he promised the kickstarter backers that he wouldn't like these were kickstarter exclusives so he's like yeah never gonna do that again um he also learned about because of all the time it took him to ship this stuff um he also developed the um essentially international friendly shipping icons for Kickstarter that are still used today. Like that was Stonemeyer essentially was the first person to, well, the first company to use those labels, which was like, he was learning as he went, uh, which was pretty cool. Next, next game. I, I don't think it's, it's not really a game, but it's very important in the history. So the next stop is Tuscany, which is an expansion to Viticulture. Exactly. And this raised, um, no, I can't do the math that fast, but it raised $450,000, which yep, if you about. compare to how much Viticulture, over four times. Yeah. Well, I'd say about seven times if I'm doing quick math. <sighs> I don't um, know. Seven or eight. 
I it's told you I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. So Tuscany was a a number of expansions, actually. There was a number of little modules that you could drop in to Viticulture. And I think this is like one of those things where a game comes out and people really like it. And then you kickstart an expansion to it and people are like, oh, now I can get this game again. So I'm going to back it and I'm going to get this expansion. But around this time, he was starting to become an actual company. And because of that, he had made the decision that all of his games were going to be evergreen games. So if he prints a game and you want it, he will print more copies and he will, it'll never go out of stock. Um, I'm certain it's not like a never ever, but his, his goal is to always keep these things available, which is part of his company model. So he doesn't have to have a ton of games. He just has a ton of games that he can sell, you know, um, then his first game that was not his game is Between Two Cities. And this raised $221,000 and is I haven't actually played Between Two Cities. I've only played Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Ludwig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Between Two Cities is very very similar. Um as in the concept, how you're building the castles is is different. It's a little more straightforward, but the concept of scoring the castle that is the least on your left and right. So you're building up two castles with the people on your left and right, and you score the one that is worth the least amount of points. And everyone's doing that around the table. So it's kind of a, a cool concept. And then the one that put him on the map. Scythe. This game was extremely popular, raising $1.8 million. And was the last Kickstarter Jamie ever did. And... We're not going to use my paraphrase reason to why, <laughs> but he will tell you that the customer service issues that he had to put up with and the number of people that were just fairly negative for a game that actually shipped early, like it delivered early. Um, and those are extremely like, high quality components and everything is very well done in yeah. this game. It's hard to point to the reason why anyone would be unhappy with this particular Kickstarter. But when you have 1.8 million people, which is... Well, you don't have 1.8 million people. $1.8 million, which is... I'm bringing up the Kickstarter page real quick. 17,739 backers. Even if it's just 1% of those people that are complaining, they can complain pretty loud and cause you some some grief. Um, let's see. Other games that he's done... That were not on Kickstarter, uh, Charterstone, Wingspan, Tapestry. Um, I think that might be it. Is that well? Tuscany is not its own game, so we can't count that. I'm. I know I'm missing one, so I just want to make sure I get these. Uh, Viticulture, Euphoria, Between Two Cities, Scythe, Charterstone, My Little Scythe, Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Wingspan, and Tapestry. So those are the games that Stonemeyer does, and for eight games, this little company has made a big splash in the industry. It is a love-it-or-hate-it company, um, and usually it's not the company, it's Jamie. Um, we talked about Jamie versus the, ga- the gaming goat um, several months ago around the Wingspan drama of how mm-hmm. Jamie has cut off the gaming goat because the owner of the gaming goat um, basically just blatantly accused Jamie of doing all kinds of bad business practices. Wide slash threw him under the bus, maybe? Yeah. 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 It's like, it it was accusing Jamie of of holding back supply to raise demand, which makes no sense if you're a publisher. Absolutely no sense. Yeah. 
So it was it's some drama, but and Jamie's out there all the time. He has a blog that he writes twice a week into. He has a design videos he does twice a week, which are short design videos. He does a Wednesday video for like a Q&A Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, where you can basically talk to him um, every Wednesday. He does a Sunday thing, which is like top tens and, you know, commentary on different things he likes in the industry. He is probably one of the most transparent company owners out there. If you go to his blog, you can find pretty much any stuff about his company, his opinions about Kickstarter. Um, anytime something changes on Kickstarter, over half his blog is all about Kickstarter. Uh, even though he doesn't use it anymore, he loves to just analyze it. And he's a huge fan of crowdfunding in general. Um, did you guys, have you guys looked at his blog at all? Yes. What did you? I follow him on Twitter and he tweets out every time he posts something new. So I've read quite a few of these posts. What do you like about him? I really enjoy the more personal things that he posts. I think it's interesting to get to know people who you hear about in the industry as people much more than I'm interested in his opinions on the gaming industry. <laughs> I think uh-huh. it's more fun to read things like how to work from home with your significant other and 10 ways yoga is making me a better creator. <laughs> that kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Fletcher, have you read it, looked at any of his blogs? Uh- I skimmed a few of his posts and I, I was just impressed how often he actually like keeps up with his blog. Cause usually you just look at it and it's like, Oh, the last post was from 2016. February of this year. <laughs> yeah. And the post before that was 2017. So it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, they have a blog, but it's never used. But this guy seems. No, he like religiously updates. Yeah. Yeah. Just in this first page here, November 4th, 20, October 24th, 21st, October 17th, October 14th, October 11th, is basically twice a week, religiously. And this one has, you know, a new co- unique coffee blend for every restaurant. Business brilliance, number 14. So this is basically just talking. It's a business blog post. Um, how to turn a good customer service experience into a bad one. You know, know when to stop. Um, four Kickstarter lessons learned from the ghost Betwix. Betwix? Uh, Kickstarter. So, like, these are the type of things. My new home office. Um, three intriguing Kickstarter strategies in three minutes. How to work from home with your significant others. You know, that those type of things are... It, they're just really, really interesting reads. They're relatively short. Um, they're well done. I mean, honestly, he churns these things out, but the content is good. The There's almost always imagery that goes along with it. His business report stuff is super interesting if you're into business at all. Anyone who's thinking of doing a Kickstarter or opening up or, you know, doing a board game publishing at all should just scour these, should read every possible thing you can on it. Because there's just so much good information here. Whether you follow it or not, seeing someone else's perspective on it is like super important. He even has a crowdfunding strategy guide that you can, I think it's in PDF and you can probably order it off Amazon as well. Um, Because again, he's like super into crowdfunding in general. All right. Let's talk about his games briefly. What are your your favorite Stonemaier games? I'm obviously a big fan of Wingspan. (laughs) (laughs) I've only actually played two of them. I've played Wingspan and I've played Scythe. And I am on the website right now and my mouse cursor is hovering over the buy button for viticulture viticulture is very good it's so good you should buy it yeah i'm turning Um, into chris (laughs) but you should but 
The yeah. Essentials Edition is it's all you need. It basically combines like the most essential Tuscany expansions and the base game of Viticulture into one box. So if you you can also get Tuscany Essentials on top of it, which gives you more expansions. But just Viticulture's Essentials, everyone should have it. And Carmen would play it with you as well because it's about making wine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the theme works so well with the like. So I would say this is kind of like what I think sets them apart is the the theme is there, the mechanics are there, and the components are always good quality. Yeah. Like that to me is like what sets apart a Stonemeyer game from just any game I pick up. They might also be there, but I you know what you're getting into with Stonemeyer games. And it's easy when there's only eight of them. Yeah. <laughs> well and so what is attracting you to Viticulture, Fletcher? Because you're saying you're hovering over it, you're looking at it, but you haven't played it. Because I've heard a lot of great things about it, and I think it's a game that I could get Carmen to play, as opposed to, like, Scythe. She might be interested in Wingspan, um, but I feel like at least the theme of Viticulture is more upper alley. Yeah. It, I guess it we're will... not all crazy bird watchers. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, I mean, the one thing... I think I think Wingspan is a great game. It's just kind of like trying to convince someone to play a game about like birds and it's like wait what (laughs) or like this is a game about like making wine it's like oh okay that sounds fun see my parents are the kind of people who have six bird feeders in their yard um and i have three four i have four bird feeders in my yard (laughs) um so to me wingspan is like oh of course you know almost as relatable as wine (laughs) but i'm the crazy one i accept that yeah i I think the best way to get someone into a light Euro game is a couple bottles of wine and viticulture. My advice to anyone who wants to get their significant others or just, you know, more casual wine drinking friends into board gaming, though, play viticulture first so that when you're teaching it, you can teach it very quickly and easily. Um, It is a easy game to teach if you just stick to the fact of here, let me teach you as we go. And don't worry about the first year or two. We will work it out as we go. Because if you try to teach everything, it's like any game. It's a little overwhelming. But, you know, in the first season, you can do, I think, I think there's five actions you can do, right? So you just explain. These are the five things that you can do. And then the second season, and there's a couple, you know, I guess you have summer and winter that you do with the actions. But it's like, and these are the actions you do here. And then, oh, I get it. And then as you keep going, it just becomes easy. I also think it's really good because it's you have like the orders in your hand at the beginning, or at least you start with like one or two of them. So you know what your goal, like this is your short-term goal. This is how you make points to win. You're going to win with points, but th- this is the thing that you need to do. And these are the ways you get there. It's yeah. like all very straightforward, laid out path. Yeah. And it's a pretty game. And there's lots of little wooden meeples in the shape of buildings. Um I think the only thing that is in any way abstract, I mean, it's a board game, so everything's abstract, but the most abstract pieces to me are the glass beads that move along the grapes and the wines. They look cool, but it's hard to comprehend. It's like, oh, these are grapes aging, and oh, these are wines that are aging. But once you understand that concept, <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I think I, Viticulture was a game that slipped completely under my radar. You didn't want to like it. 
I this didn't. was like back in your I don't like Euro games phase. <laughs> You're just like, I don't like anything published before this year, and I don't like <laughs> anything that's Euro game wine. Ugh. <laughs> I don't think it was. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I was anti Euro games or if I was just, I was more into uh, more interesting themes. Like a vineyard wasn't actually all that interesting to me. Until I played it, and then I'm like, oh, because I'm still not super interested in, like, opening up a winery, but how this game works, I'm like, oh, yeah, this, I like this game. I like this game a lot. And so I've changed my mind. Yeah, I didn't even get into Kickstarter until Scythe was fulfilling, and so I got into Kickstarter around all the drama of Scythe, (laughs) uh, which I believe is, oh, how is he, Scythe, 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 there's another way of saying that that I think he says. But I say scythe. Scythe, um, I think, is also correct. As, as long as I can say it, the people know what I'm talking about, so that's all right. Um, all right, so that's Viticulture. Fletcher, you have not played scythe. Yes, I have. Oh, okay. So How do you like scythe? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was more of a question that sounded like an accusation. Fletcher, you haven't played scythe? I've played it with you, Chris. That, that's what I thought. <laughs> Well, I don't think so. <laughs> Just accuse me of not playing it. I played it. I played it like two or three times. There was a few times I think you were playing it. You played it with Derek at work. Like you guys had a huge game that I was yeah, not so involved in. I played it with in. Derek at work. I played it with you, and I think I played it with Derek also again. Like maybe at his house or something. So, what are your opinions of Scythe? I like Scythe, and I'm very bad at it. Um, but I do like it quite a bit. And each time, for whatever reason, I was the same nation. I think so. Faction. Nation. Faction. faction? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The, like the, the white winter faction or whatever. I kept on drawing that one for whatever reason. Or I just kept on getting it. So I think I'd like to play it again, maybe with a different faction, just to kind of branch out a little bit. <laughs> um, but I like the game. I just, I don't think it, it's cl- it hasn't clicked with me yet, like the engine building um, or like the particular strategy again i've only played it like yeah one of the cool things about it those even if you get the same faction you are likely going to get a different player board so you're still yes. that interaction creates a different like you have I mean, to do your, different your special abilities the same yeah kitty what is your opinion of it i really? like you don't, it i, don't think, I did have you like to it? i have to play it more the first time i played i did not enjoy it as much um and i get to blame josh because he's not here because <laughs> i felt like it moved very slow <laughs> Um, and I felt like I didn't get what I was doing at first, but then the longer you play, the more it makes sense. And it's one of those games where you start and you're like, after the first four turns, you're like, I'm never going to get this. I don't want to keep playing. I don't know what's happening. And then after eight turns, you're like, now I get it. Can I go back to the beginning? Like, I want to redo every, I've done this all wrong. (laughs) I don't know. I think the time that really sold me on it was I got to jump in we were teaching it at game hole con and somebody had to leave for their next event because it was going a little long so i got to jump into her seat and she had set up this amazing combo that i got to execute for her and she went from last place to second place within two moves all because of her work i just got to you know be the one moving the pieces around i was like oh this is so cool that you can do these things with this game and i haven't actually been able to play in like a year because i have a kid and we don't own this one but we should because spencer actually enjoys playing this game and spencer so rarely enjoys playing games with me well this one um there's a couple interesting things about this one uh which goes back to stonemaier and as in general 
And one is there is an expansion called, um, oh, what is it? The Wing something, uh, Wind Gambit, which was not originally supposed to be part of the game. So when he designed the game, he had basically designed everything out and was like, he's released pizzas of it over the years as they were developed. But the Wind Gambit was a fan created module that this guy created, like made this module and then got a hold of Jamie and said, Hey, this, I think this would be cool. And Jamie's like, so do I. So they worked together to develop this module. And that's where the Wind Gambit, one of the expansions for Scythe came from. Um, that's not the first time he's done that. He d- he's also did that with My Little Scythe, which was, you know, just a guy and his daughter who designed this game. And it became popular on Board Game Geek because they used My Little Pony. And they couldn't do that. So they I couldn't I license My Little Pony. <laughs> no. But I, and I don't know exactly how they got a hold of each other. I don't know if Jamie reached out to him or they reached out to them. My guess is the fans reached out to Jamie and said, hey, this looks awesome. You guys should do this for real. And so they did. And I played this. I own this. I will continue to own this. It is a very fast 30 to 45 minute experience that it's just gorgeous. It's the cute, it's a cute game. Um, it's probably, I'd say, ages six or seven and up. Because I actually enjoy it myself. Um, and it's inspired by Scythe, but much, much simpler, obviously, in what it does. So that's another thing that Jamie really likes to do is like work with his fans. And if he thinks there's a cool idea out there, he's like, yeah, let's do this. Um, so I think that's really, really cool. And for Scythe, there's... Um, I'm forgetting... Hold on. I have the page up so I don't have to forget. Um, because Scythe has a campaign expansion set that just came uh, out for it and that is called uh rise of fenris this is a i think it's a 10 game campaign and each time there's like this little mini expansion that you add in and when you're done with the campaign there's unlockable story and stuff like that nothing like it's, it's resettable um but when you're done you can mix and match any of the mini expansions into the base game but you still go through this story so excuse me, this is something that like you and Spencer could be like, all right, let's play through this campaign. Um, Because actually the other game that he also enjoyed playing with me was Pandemic Legacy. So combining the two, man. Yeah. Well, there's something about a game that is a campaign game that keeps you going back to it. Like you want to finish it, Uh, which is a perfect segue into Charterstone. Charterstone is his first actual legacy game. Uh, There are stickers on things you're permanently modifying the board through stickers you'll tear things up uh usually after you've used them the game is giving you instructions of what to do on each step stories that are going along this is a worker placement game and in that it's it's very i i found it super compelling so sydney and i played this as a two-player game and we ended up going through and playing it. And you have some... Um, Over the course then, of like three days, I feel like. <laughs> I think... I Yeah, we definitely did the whole thing in under a week. And you play with... When you only have two players, um, when you have less than six, there's some things that happen to fill in the other spots on the board. This game with six people, you would have such a unique board at the end of it. It would be crazy. Um, but when you're done with it, what you've done is you've created your own worker placement board. And you can just sit down and... Play that board whenever you want. So I have a question for you about this game. Do you think that a group of like 12 to 15 year olds would enjoy this? Yes. Okay. 
because I have a copy that you gave me that me and Spencer have never felt like this is the moment to play it. I was thinking of bringing it to my youth group and having them play through because there's like about six of them on any given day. If you had six or less and you could do this. I never have more than six kids. (laughs) Yeah, Perfect. Then you could do this over a series of, you know, basically two or three months if you do a play one game a week. And this would get built up. And every time they play, they would know how to play. But there'd be something new that would be getting added into it. So, Hmm. and I say, it's just a simple little work replacement game. But the fact that you get to name things, especially for teenagers of that age. I don't even want to know what they would name things. Exactly. But they would have fun doing it. They would love it. Yep. So, yeah. And you're basically vying for, you know, the, you want the king to like you is really what the goal of the game is. So, yeah, Charterstone. So he's done a couple campaign games as well, which I think they're just, they're, Charterstone should have gotten, actually, I think it got as much hype as it did. It did not live up to the hype because this was another Jamie Stegmeier game. Like he was the designer of it. And I think that the hype around it was higher than the game itself could sustain. So because of that, I think he ended up printing a lot more copies than sold. Um, he still sold a ton of copies, but I, I just think I think he still has an inventory of of these games that he's trying to get rid of. <laughs> All right. Um, any other games you guys want to talk about of his? We've talked about Wingspan a ton, but actually, no, Wingspan is worth talking about. Because we because haven't covered it in this episode. <laughs> let's cover it in this episode. Um, it was not his design. No. It caused a lot of drama. It did. <laughs> Um, you want to summarize? Oh, so there was initially he, so he has a, um, like group that is called a champion. Yep. Champions so you, me- yep. you basically pay a fee and you get early access to things. You can pre-order stuff. You get lots of special perks, fun stuff. Um, so you can, but you can pre-order the games, I think is the big one. Um, so there was a huge run on pre-orders for Wingspan. It got this huge hype, great reviews. Everyone is loving it. Um, so then when it went to retail, a lot of retailer orders were not fulfilled because there had been so many pre-sales. So a lot of um, distributors weren't able to get the copies that they thought they were going to be getting, so they couldn't get them to retailers. So for a long time, it was an incredibly scarce game. If you hadn't gotten in on that first wave of pre-orders, it was, you ended up with it just by pure luck. Yeah. Well, Until even, the second print run. Yeah, well, probably fourth or fifth, because I think just now you're able to like find this game and you can buy it if you want to. But yeah, there was either 25 or 50,000 copies made. But whatever the number was, distributors underordered, mm-hmm. and even though Jamie gave the distributors what they ordered, the dist- well underestimated because they didn't actually order anything. They just said we would likely buy this many copies, so we will likely buy a total of twenty five thousand copies. Great, I'll make twenty five thousand copies, and then oh, we need one hundred and fifty thousand. Well, I don't have one hundred and fifty thousand. You said you only wanted twenty five thousand. So really, it was the fault of the distributors and their bad estimates as to what they would want that caused the problem. But as things are, nobody, the distributors are invisible in our industry. Like nobody sees them, nobody blames them, nobody understands how they work. Well, it's hard because they're they're like just a middleman, but they're also there's a lot expected of them. 
because they have to look at these games without the information that buyers are getting and guess what people are going to want. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, well, like, unknown designer, bird theme. Who knew that this was going to be such a runaway hit? But anyone who's played this game is like, of course it's a runaway hit. It's a super fun game with amazing components. Super fun. Yep. I can get my mom to play this anytime. It's not really a good measuring stick, though, because my mom's a huge nerd who will play pretty much anything with me. <laughs> well, it has recently won the Kenner Spiel, which is the biggest award in gaming short of the Spiel des Jahres, which is just the game of the year. Kenner Spiel is the happiest game of the year. Um, so it is one of the most successful games of all time at this point, and it's been out for a year. Mm-hmm. It's sold over 130,000 copies is the last number I saw, but I have to imagine that number is just going up by gangbusters after it won the Kenner Spiel. You can find it just about anywhere now. That's what happens when you win the Kenner Spiel. And he just has to, you know, this is his first mega super hit. Um, there's an expansion that's just been announced. They're not going to underprint that. <laughs> um, I have a t-shirt it, that you picked up for me at Dice Tower Con. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're making, it's, it is a huge success. It was a bumpy start. Like when a game is too successful and you're not prepared for it, it's almost worse. Almost. It's definitely not worse than when a game flops. But um You know, once again though, I think he handled it the best he could in that situation. He was very transparent with what was going on, very apologetic, and I think that directly leads to what happened with Tapestry. Yeah. Well, because and then so Tapestry comes out, but more drama on Tapestry. Of course. So <laughs> advance, advance a year. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, Wingspan, there was a problem. I'm, I'm going to... So each time he announces a game, he does it in kind of a different way. And he does it on purpose. He's, he's trying to figure out what the best way to, it is. And he has no problem experimenting with the games and how he announces them. We are his so, lab rats. Exactly. So Tapestry was announced about two weeks before pre-orders were available. He did an embargo on reviews. So Mm -hmm. you could talk about the game, you could show gameplay, but you couldn't give your opinion of the game until the day that you could pre-order. And then the embargo was lifted for reviews. And he said, I have 20,000 copies and there's going to be a four-day pre-order window and go for it. Um, I think there's 20, the numbers could be plus or minus some thousands, but whatever. it was only 10,000. Might have been 10,000. Um, but he's like, there's X number of copies. You have four days to pre-order. And I warned people in every possible way I could, if you want this game, order it at the strike of whenever it goes on pre-order. It sold out in a day and a half. And then people got upset. You said it was going to be a four-day pre-order. And now there's no games available. And now I want this and I can't get it. And it's like, Really, there's not. I think there's an article that he posted shortly after that. Um, damned if I do, damned if I don't. I think was the name of his blog post or something along those lines. Yep, I'm looking but at it right about, now. I was trying to figure out what the number is. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, it was him saying, "Look, I'm, we're trying to figure this out. I did everything I could to be as transparent as I could, and you know, who knows if it's going to be successful or not? You know, um, the hype was hot. Like he's like, I didn't want people to." you know, have to want it for too long. That was building too much, you know, hype. So this, by announcing it just with two weeks, I figured, you know, I'd temper it out a little bit. Nope, that didn't work either. So yeah, he's he's still working on the on the formula. Are you, are you reading anything good? I'm lost in numbers. Sorry. 
I'm just going to close that back with you. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so there's, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's a good blog post to read. If you really want to know what's going on, instead of just making blind accusations about him trying to manipulate the market, read his blog post. He's about as transparent as you can possibly get. I really like, too, how in touch he is clearly with the community, since he starts this out with a quote from just somebody on Board Game Geek. This is the ultimate damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. Jamie got lamb, lamb blasted. Lambasted. <laughs> lambasted. Lambasted, yeah. With Wingspan for not supporting retailers because many retailers didn't get enough copies of the game to fulfill their own pre-orders. Now, Jamie is getting ragged for selling out his pre-orders, which is largely due to him allotting a large portion to the print run to retailers instead of keeping them for himself. Yeah. So he his his fans are loyal to him for sure. A couple inter- other interesting numbers. He has 40,000 members on his newsletter, which is kind of crazy for a board game company. He has over 3700 members in his champion membership, uh, which is $12 a month and spe- or $12 a year, I'm sorry. Um, which is specifically meant to support his blog posts and all his content. It's kind of like his own personal patron, Patreon, but he also does it like you mentioned before. Um, you get early shipping on pre-orders. You don't get an earlier window. You might get you get free shipping and sometimes you get like $5 off and your games are shipped first, but Ultimately, you know, everyone has the chance of pre-ordering when you can pre-order. You're just, hmm. you know, you get some free shipping stuff. It really pays for itself. If you're if you like anything Stonemeyer, twelve dollars a year is totally worth it. It covers the free shipping alone if or covers shipping alone if you uh buy one game a year. Um but he didn't even do direct sales from his site until twenty seventeen. Everything before that was just distribution. So again, this is just another experiment. It's like what happens if I do this? Is this going to be something somebody people are going to care about so now he has let's see 3700 times 12 he's making you know forty four thousand dollars a year in his champion memberships and that's just money that people are giving him to buy his product right and if he's giving a five dollar discount maybe ten dollar discount on shipping it's still a direct sale which is making him much more money than distribution sales yeah retail would have mm-hmm so no matter how you cut it, he's still making more money off of it. Um, however, and he's come out many times saying, most of my money is still through distribution. I do not make, like, yes, I get more profit per item on direct sales. But overall, if it wasn't for distribution, the company wouldn't exist. Because Which is why it would be such a terrible idea for him to purposely short sell distribution. Like, that's just... Like, yeah. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. Um, I never understood the argument of like, oh, you're just holding back stuff to create demand. It's like, if only people could create demand that way. Yeah. Like Also, like, it's not like he can, oh, I've held it all back, so now I can sell it for a greater price. If anything, he's letting other people make more money on a secondary market because he's created this false scarcity. Yeah. Well, and that's the big thing, to Fletcher's point. It's like... Yes, maybe holding back does increase demand, but unless that means that you're going to sell it for more, there's no point to a company to do that. Yeah. It's just, it, it's not Economics. business sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he'll, I have faith that he will get it right. And even if he doesn't, we are all going to be learning from what he's trying and why he's trying and why he's changing things the way he is. Um, you know, when he dropped Kickstarter four years ago, it was a crazy, crazy thing for a small company to do that. And he's people thought that f- was like the end of him. Yeah. 
Yep, it's like, oh, you're not doing Kickstarter anymore. That means you're not doing games anymore, right? Now, fortunately, he had something like Scythe that was able to carry him along because Scythe is an evergreen game. Like, he keeps printing and selling that. Um, But it's still kind of scary to not have, like, that Kickstarter hype, which is why he works social media so hard. Like, he's one of the most active people on social media out there, which is ironic because unlike, like, Stephen Bonacore of Stonemaier or Stronghold Games, Stephen's out every place. He's on podcasts. He's like goes to every convention. He's smoozing with everybody he can. He's a super, super outgoing person. Jamie is admittedly, self-admittedly, a incredibly shy person. He is not. He doesn't go to shows. What? Someone in the board game industry is shy? Yeah. Shocked. <laughs> Hold on. The room is spinning. <laughs> but I mean, it's for a business person, it's tricky though, right? Because you can't promote your own stuff. Um you would be hard-pressed to find a Stonemeyer booth at any convention anywhere. Like, he doesn't have them at Gen Con. He doesn't have them at Origins. I don't think I've ever seen a Stonemeyer booth. And I go to a lot of conventions. He has partners. So I think this year at at um, Gen Con, he was partnered with MeepleSource. And that's what he was selling his games through, uh, selling Wingspan through there. But um, But yeah, but he doesn't actually have his own booths. He doesn't. Like it, he doesn't want to manage. He doesn't want to be the person responsible for getting volunteers, um, which is interesting because he does have an ambassador program that he's had for several years now, which is a program where people sign up. He'll send you copies of the game, and you go around to the different stores and conventions to teach those games. And he's like, that ambassador program is a huge reason why his games are as successful as they are, because you can go places and you have people that will teach you these games, and you know where that be online or wherever that happens to be. But all right, let's see. What else do we like about Stonemaier? Because I could I could talk about these guys or th- this guy for quite some time. Actually, <laughs> I've never played Euphoria. Between How dare cities, you? I know, I know. Oh, here's a, an, an interesting anecdote. So Euphoria had one of their... Wait, an antidote or an anecdote? Both of those. It's an antidote. <laughs> <laughs> it will both save you from poisoning, and it's an interesting story. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That's true, though. It's very true. It's called the treasure chest. Um, so Euphoria had these Kickstarter-exclusive like little gold bars. And these were the things that he couldn't sell because he told people he wouldn't sell them. So what he did is he's like, you know, I'm just going to create a set of components that can replace any of my components in any of the games or other games as well. And I will sell them as a treasure chest. And that was one of his Kickstarters. And that had enough stuff to replace the Euphoria regular tokens with these upgraded tokens. But they were still different than the original tokens. And he's since done a couple of those. But... After I think just recently, within maybe a year ago, he sold the rights to that to the company that he was working with that made those. So they're still getting made, but he doesn't own those rights anymore. Um, but I thought that was an interesting way of working around the Kickstarter exclusive. He's like, all right, fine. Those are exclusive. But I'm going to make a set of like just upgraded components for any game that you could get and add on to there. All right. I don't know that I have much more to say about Stonemaier. Unless you guys have questions or comments. No, I think we've covered it. Uh, I'm sure there's something we're forgetting, but I don't know what it is right now. Did you guys talk about Tapestry at all? We should talk about Tapestry a little bit. I think I talked about it at the top of the show. Well, we talked a little bit when we talked about Wingspan and how the the compare and contrast of how the two releases went. 
But I don't think we talked about like the game. So Tapestry the Game. Let's talk about that a little bit because it's the current hotness. Um, you guys have not seen any how to plays or any videos on this, right? No. Okay. Um, I'm going to bring up the game on the website just because I want to see if there's anything cool to see there. I think uh, I looked at it when it was in pre-sale because we kept is... talking about it on Dice Tower News. But So I'll cover some highlights of the game. First of all, a four-page rulebook. That is both a highlight and a low light, um, but it is interesting. What's interesting about it is you can learn the basics of the game very, very quickly. When I was playing the game, I was playing with two people who had played before, um, and essentially I told them, I have a general idea of how this plays, and I will ask you as I go what things do so that you don't have to explain the rules to me. And I was able to just start playing with nothing more than like scanning over. Um, I don't even know what it, I think it was like maybe a 10 minute review or something. I saw maybe it was Tom Vassell's review of it. Just giving a review. The idea here, though, is there are four tracks on the board. There's science, military, technology. Um, yes, which is different than science and something else that's not culture. I just remember that's not culture. But you're going to pick one of those tracks. And you're going to move, you're going to spend a number of resources and move your little token up the track, which is going to allow you to perform an action. It's Euro-style based action. So everything's kind of iconographic that allows you to build a building, draw a card, play a card, score some points, whatever the case may be, depending on that track. Every time you go up to a certain landmark on those tracks, so every three spaces, there's a building that you can take. And if you're the first person to that spot, you can take that building. Um, there's also buildings on your play mat, which you will be building at certain times. You build those into your Sudoku, Sudoku town, which is a three by three grid of three by three grids. Um, and anytime you fill up one of those three by three grids, you get to pull a resource. Anytime you fill a line and you score, you get points. Um, pretty much everything you're doing is trying to get points. But it's an action selection game at its heart. You're going to just choose one of these four tracks, go up, and that's the action you're going to perform. And then there's resource management, and then there's spatial, you know, you're trying to fill up spaces on the board. That is tapestry. There are technology cards. There are tapestry cards. The tapestry cards give your civilization interesting abilities and powers. There's technology cards that really are ways of building things and getting points. There are... Um, each civilization, and how many civilizations are there? Um, a lot. I don't see the number exactly. 16. 16 civilizations that you can start with. All of them are very, very unique. Uh, some of them have their own little mini-games mini on their civilization cards that you're playing. So each thing is going to have its own custom something. There's some tile laying in there. It sounds really complicated, but it's not. I just went in science. I just kept going on the science track because that was fun and that's just what I focused on. But um, Science! <laughs> for the science! Science is fun because there's a die that you roll and whatever you roll, it's going to be one of those four tracks and you just get a free advancement on one of those tracks. And sometimes, depending where you're on the science track, you get to use the action on it. Sometimes it just moves you forward. Um, so there's kind of a risk-reward in there but it was i'm like i don't know what i'm doing so i'm just gonna go science all the way because that'll get make me do a little bit of everything um there's these pre-painted buildings which makes the game cost a lot more than it needs to and the pre-painted the bases on the buildings don't actually fill the spaces they should fill so there's some yeah fiddliness in that aspect and there's another complaint that people have with it the four page rule book is nice um some people it was like eh, you know you could have gotten more than four pages and put some more explanations in there but i personally i don't mind the four page rule book i think it's a 
easy enough to figure out what's going on after the first round or two. Um, yeah, I think it's great. It's a cool game. You guys should play it. You will like it. It is not a, it's not a Euro that doesn't have randomness. So there's a lot of like ability to get caught up or get caught, well, caught up in both ways. You can the catch up or get pulled back by like a few bad random draws. But otherwise, I think that's more of an equalizer than, than a problem with it. So if you don't like those random type of Euro games, you may not like this one. So that's tapestry. Questions? I don't think so. It's <laughs> a very comprehensive answer. <laughs> <laughs> everyone should play it at least once. Go check it out. Well, I'm not going to say everyone. Um, I don't even know who this game is for because it's not a Euro game. <laughs> I just think it's it's more of a People light... who like tapestries. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> yes, that's what it is. It is a lightweight Euro without feeling like a Euro game. I, I I don't know. I just think it's really good. It's like this weird middle ground of game that I just want to play again because I want to explore like different strategies and different uh, civilizations and stuff. So, but we're gonna give it away. Speaking of, let's do that right now. That'll save me. Hooray! <laughs> All right, we're not gonna do any listener mail for this one. Oh, well, one final thing that was interesting about Stonemeyer: three of the eight games Man, that he's such made a tease <laughs> i'm gonna give this game away wait there's more <laughs> this is cool three of the eight games he's done are in the top 31 that scythe is number 10 viticulture is number 20 and wingspan is number 31 on bgg so i think wingspan is gonna get up there pretty quick too it's it's rose like 10 points in the last couple of months all right and the winner of our tapestry giveaway you have to email me your address so i can send it to you um and then it's already boxed up and ready to go so i just need an address um all right fletcher you have talked the least on this episode who is our winner uh i have to scroll down to find it where is it <laughs> where is it okay the tapestry winner and the winner is <laughs> sean peck yay sean yay, congratulations Woo-hoo. um sean has a youtube channel called i think it's called peck tech uh, which is actually quite interesting. He has a lot of cool stuff, and so this is really, really well produced. So, uh, kudos on you, Sean, and congratulations. Uh, let me know where to send tapestry to, and I will do just that. Oh, and we have credits, so we don't have to read the names again. Um, I just have to get them ready. Okay, we're ready for that. All right, but before we go to credits, you can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is at Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. You can patron us at TabletopGameTalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at TabletopGameTalk.com. And finally, a huge thank you to our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimwitz, Jerry Huang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Ratke, Nick Quickstraw, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Nate, Faz Clinton. Sean Peck, Eric Sealander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Vernig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wachowiak, Neil Jewel Jacobson, Maria Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, John Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Lean Verholt, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Neil McLaughlin, Sahara Wentworth, 
Weatherman Keith, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, and Paul Raymer. So keep playing games and having fun. <laughs> he took he took my outro. What a thief! <laughs> but and we do have to say, um, oh, I have a couple more. Did I? Oh, I lost yeah, my notes. No. All right, Jimothy. Yes, but I wrote something else in there. Jimothy, aka James Lawson, but from this day forward, will simply go by Jimothy and Matthew Droke. <laughs> Good job. I did it. <laughs>